Welcome to Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.04 p.m., and I'm your host, Mark Herring. For those of you listening, Eye on the Triangle is a news show focusing on stories that you necessarily won't read in the newspaper or hear on the radio otherwise. If you consider yourself a citizen of the Triangle, then the content that we will soon broadcast may be of special interest to you. So first tonight, we have a story about President Obama's visit to Durham last week and the Commerce Secretary's visit to NC State. A feature on how to be more resourceful, energy conscious, and a greener citizen by correspondent Nick Savage. And then the regular segments like sports, sound bites, and weather. Later in the show, we will have a one-on-one interview with a seasoned traveler and resident abroad with travel tips from his experiences outside of the United States. And a feature on the Rebus Gallery, which is more than just an art gallery. So first, here's the news regarding President Obama's visit to Durham. We all use energy and technology. And lately, according to Larry Jacobson of the National Society of Professional Engineers, we've been falling behind the rest of the world in regards to scientific research. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. June 13th, President Barack Obama announced in Durham an initiative to train an additional 10,000 engineers to boost the nation's competitiveness in the technical field. And today, uh, with the leadership of the Jobs Council, we're announcing an all-hands-on-deck strategy to train 10,000 new American engineers every year. The morning before the President's afternoon remarks, NC State hosted Commerce Secretary Gary Locke, North Carolina Democratic Senator Kay Hagan, And the Council on Jobs and Competitiveness, comprised of CEOs and directors of companies like GE and Comcast, to discuss issues in energy and technology as part to improve the economy. I spoke with Senator Hagan on why the administration chose Raleigh and Durham. I think if you look around the country, there are numbers of places of innovation, but RTP is probably one of the first and foremost. And the innovation that's going on in Research Triangle Park, as well as job creation, is very important. And that's why the, the president chose and the Economic Council came here. You mentioned that you know, NC State is an institution that's deeply involved in research. Is that the reason why... They chose NC State. Well, I think there are so many areas of the world that are focused on science, uh, information technology, engineering, and math. And here at NC State, with its engineering school and its great innovation, it is certainly a key to job creation and not only job creation, but really businesses, creating creating businesses and companies are going to be in employing so many people. So I think that with the research that's going on here at NCS, NC State, as well as the other universities, the research universities within the North Carolina system, um, and the collaboration that's going on here at NC State with the Freedom Center, with other universities across the country, it's very important that we work together because for U.S. to continue to be the global uh, dominating uh, country in the world, we've got to be focused on our research. We've also got to be focused on research and development and innovation, and that's what's central here to NC State. The the president and the administration, they're trying to boost jobs. That's the, it seems like the biggest thing on the agenda now. How does energy 
clean energy, renewable energy, tie into drought creation. Well, that's another reason that they chose to come to North Carolina, because we are the only state in the southeast with a renewable energy share, which means that our utility companies have to provide some of their energy through renewable sources. And this forum that we're holding here is a, is a clean energy forum. And we know that we've got to become less dependent on foreign oil, particularly for our national security reasons. And how are we going to do that? We're going to create new companies, invest in renewable energy, and those jobs will be jobs for America that will not be outsourced. Chancellor Randy Woodson explained that NC State is a leader in integrating education with industry. And he and Dr. Alex Huang of the Campus Electrical Research Center, the Freedom Center, toward the council around the research facilities. Woodson comments. This is a university that's all about job creation. Uh, The science and technology that goes on at NC State has already shown for decades that we can spin out new companies, new industry, and we can reinvent existing industry like we are with the Freedom Center. So they're here because we do great work. The Job Council is all about what can we do immediately to stimulate employment, to get more people back to work. And uh, they came here because they wanted to see the Freedom Center, which is a center focused on power distribution. And they also came here because there are a lot of small companies located in the Triangle that are a big part of this uh, creation of new jobs. So they're here for a good reason. Many alumni of the university represented large energy businesses that attended the conference. I spoke with Ed White, graduate in electrical engineering and former chairman of energy company ITRON Incorporated. We discussed the main issue of the conference, energy grids called smart grids. The smart grid, it's a new grid that it's kind of like the, what I've heard, the internet for for electric grids. Now... The, the current grid in the United States needs an overhaul. Is the smart grid the right way to go? Well, uh, it's, it's an evolutionary process. You remember the traditional grid is a very much a mechanically-based system. that uh, You really had uh, electronics in uh, the power plants for SCADA, uh, protective relaying, but very little uh, when you got out on the distribution network. Even metering was mechanical. And so what we're moving to now is that uh, we have meters uh, that have the ability to measure energy so customers know how they're using energy. Uh, it has a lot to do with how you want to price. It's saying you have pricing signals to customers to change their usage behavior. We're also putting a lot of instrumentation substations now that have the ability for both uh, returning uh, information uh, for status control, VAR control, voltage control, uh, those things. And, and a big part of what's driving uh, Smart Grid is the fact that we're starting to uh, – we've got a lot of state mandates for uh, renewable energy. And that is non-continuous and it's non-dispatchable, meaning you can't turn it off and on. So when you think about uh, wind or solar, uh, those things only work when you have uh, the sun shining or the winds blowing. And so you have to have the ability to uh, probably manage storage with those discontinuous types of generation. We also are looking very much at electric vehicles coming in. And, and the, the charging loads on vehicles are going to put a very unique load on the distribution network. And so a lot of smart grid is to uh, really get ready for handling uh, these alternate forms of generation as well as the charging loads for electric vehicles. Alumnus and executive vice president of the Tennessee Valley Authority, Rob Manning, said that the United States still has a long way to go in order to meet the president's demands for energy overhaul. Well, energy is the foundation of the economy. Without electricity, 
nothing works. So energy is the foundation of the economy, and we don't quite have it right today. It's not flexible enough. The energy systems in the U.S. are not flexible uh, flexible enough to deliver what the economy in the U.S. really needs right now. So a lot of this conference, I think, was about what is necessary for us to make the adaptations in the energy business and get us positioned better to meet the flexible requirements of tomorrow's infrastructure going forward. Now, do you see this conference as progress in moving forward into the right direction? Uh, Yes, I think it's a small step forward, a small step forward, not a big step forward. Uh, But conferences like this, I think, get people, get get government and industry and academia talking. And those things can only result in good things going forward, I believe. That kind of conversation can only result in good things going forward. And so what is TVA doing to try to move into a uh, more, you know, uh, into the direction where energy needs to go? Uh, We're investing in smart technologies. We're investing in renewable energy. Uh, We're investing significantly in energy efficiency, and we're looking at our traditional infrastructure to see um, how might we adapt traditional infrastructures uh, to new, more modern technology at the same time do things like uh, we're, we're closing a lot of our older coal plants and replacing that with cleaner, greener technologies, gas technologies, and wind energy and energy efficiency. And do you see the country being able to conquer this problem in the near future? Absolutely. I, I, I just came back last week from London to, to uh, a conference with uh, European companies who are a little bit ahead of us. Uh, and I certainly believe the American folks can figure out how to do this and do this really well. Uh, it's just a matter of us figuring out how we all get on the same page. I think everyone has a little bit different idea about what the future looks like. And what we need to do is figure out not so much exactly what every aspect of the future looks like, but what's the right direction and start off in that direction. We don't have to have every last uh, problem solved. And I'm afraid in America today we're trying to solve every last problem first and then take that next step. And we need to kind of take a half step part of the way there, and let's just get started getting some things done. The president said the United States must put out 10,000 additional engineers into the market annually to compete with countries like China and India. Currently, the United States has 4 million engineers employed, and as a nation, we crank out 74,000 engineers annually. But the problem the president is addressing will come soon, when baby boomers in engineering start to retire. As Larry Jacobson described it, the engineering workforce is getting old, and more younger scientists will be need to replace them. Additionally, the United States trains a lot of foreign nationals. 20% of all grad students in the STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math, are foreign. At MIT, two-thirds are foreign. Dean Louis Martin Vega of the College of Engineering said that NC State is doing what it can to meet that need. Not too long ago, only one out of every three students who started in engineering graduate. So it's actually gone up to 50%, but, but there's, we're not really satisfied with that. The main push is the emphasis on retention, okay, the efforts that we can make 
to really facilitate the movement of the students in engineering programs. Sometimes they start with the idea that they want to go into one engineering discipline, and it may be that they have opportunities in other engineering disciplines. So but he's absolutely right in that probably the best way to look at increasing the number of engineers who graduates in the country is by, in fact, retaining more of the students that come in engineering and having them graduate. And what's the importance of engineers in the present economy, the current economy? Well, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty well understood that engineering and, and engineering work really lies, uh, you know, at the infrastructure of basically the developments that we're having move the economy forward. I mean, you know, technology is a huge driver in everything that's going on. And so it's really the engineering background, which is a combination of science-based concepts as well as implementation, right, of technologies and techniques lies at the basis of this. But you'll find that most of the engineering disciplines are really converging around issues of energy and sustainability and health and security and areas like that. So a lot of the young people that are in engineering fields that are graduating degrees in engineering are very well prepared to move into these challenges. However, mired with the downturned economy and states slashing budgets, the discussion of the future of energy policy and STEM education will continue. From Eye on the Triangle, I am Mark Herring. And you guys are lucky. You've got excellent schools nearby like UNC and NC State and Duke. Reggie, I, don't worry, I'm not forgetting Duke. Every time I come here, there's some ACC thing that I got to work through. Resource usage has recently become a popular topic of debate. With these hot summer months looming before us, let's take a look at some of the ways that we can reduce our overall consumption. The first thing, uh, the, the easy, the low-hanging fruit, is throw out those incandescent light bulbs. That's David Dean, the NC State Outreach and Communications Coordinator for Sustainability. You know, CFLs is your first step. If you've got the resources, go LED. In our home, we have several uh, can recess lights, and they were previously 65-watt bulbs, and we replaced them with LEDs that are 13 watts. My mom, Diane, a prudent user of energy and resources, agrees with Mr. Dean's suggestion. All our light bulbs were changed to CFLs the minute we moved in. Any place in the house, it is the CFL light bulbs instead of the regular ones. For the common household, David and Diane offer more suggestions. You can get a thermostat that will give you several time zones. When you wake up, you could have it turn on so the air conditioning is ready when you get up to go to work, and it'll turn off when you're walking out the door, and it'll turn back on when you come back home. And these fluctuations are enough to save you a significant amount of money, and these thermostats can pay for themselves in a few months. The other thing, a contributing factor to it is who's going to be in the house. If it's just me, I don't mind it at 80 degrees. When the family comes home, they like it more like at 77. And I know we are more conservative with our temperature levels. I feel that, you know, why waste energy if I can be comfortable, you know, and that's where you have to make that commitment. Definitely keeping your doors closed helps out with the HVAC system. Keeping the blinds shut. When you've got really hot parts of the building, you know, opening them for natural lighting, not even using the lights when you don't have to. You know, we don't turn on our lights until it goes dark outside. 
We initially made an investment when we moved into our home of basically window tinting on our windows that reduces the UV rays coming into the home and reduces the amount of heat coming into the home through the windows because the sun is strong. I know it's an initial investment that's a lot, but when you plan to stay in a home like we are, it's worth the investment to cover your windows with this film. At the same time, not only is the benefit for the heat, it protects your furniture, your floors, carpets, Whatever is being exposed to the sun, which the sun is very powerful and it does change the colors of your floor, all you have to do is lift up a carpet and you'll see a line. In the classroom, uh, you know, make sure your professor is turning off the computer uh, and you're hitting the switch when you're leaving the classroom and everybody leaves. Um, you know, close the blinds so the room doesn't get too hot, but it leaves enough natural light so you can still write and take notes. Um, you know, there's... Definitely use a smart strip power strip on all your electronics at home and in the classroom or in your dorm. In terms of saving money, Diane offers some suggestions about saving gas in this tough economy. I'm old enough to ha- to remember the uh, gas crisis in the 70s where it depended on your license plate and when you could get gas for you to fill up your car. So I took those habits probably into adulthood with conserving trips. We have a freezer in our garage it's for the sole purpose of filling it so that, you know, I don't have to go out every day to go get meat. I don't have to go out every day to go get bread or, you know, the, with the freezers and the refrigerator, you know, I could get milk to feed the family and, and store it in there for over a week. I also travel in a circle. You know, I plan my trips so that I go in a circle and I'm not constantly bouncing back and forth left and right from the house to go different places or whatnot to conserve gas in the car because, it's not cheap. <laughs> and at the same time, it's your time. You're spending a lot of time going out there running errands. So if you can consolidate it and do a circle once a week, that would cut down on our gas consumption. In addition to saving gas, saving water is just as important. We have rain barrels daisy-chained all around our property. And I use this, this um, water to water our vegetable garden with hoses that have holes drilled into where the plants are and it, it's better than a um, a soaker hose because it centers the water dripping on the plants. This year we don't have a huge problem with the drought so this is all we're doing right now you know on an everyday basis. It's, it's really using the rain coming off the roof to feed the plants that are outside. When there was a drought we took the water from rain barrels to rinse our dishes before putting them in the dishwasher to water the plants in the house. We also had everybody take a Navy shower and use reclaim the water and use that to flush the toilets. And we were very conservative. We really pushed that. We felt that, you know, it made a difference being a large family that if we did this, it would help. Water is a large resource when you watch it rain here. It's very, comes down hard and heavy, and it's a shame not to reuse it. While Diane hopes to make a difference as a family, NC State is about to start a new energy awareness campaign called Change Your State. The idea is hopefully that people will do one thing and help us reduce our average electric bill on campus, which is roughly $22 million a year. We could save a lot of money if we reach our goal of 5% reduction in energy consumption, which is about $1.5 million. The campaign will include many web resources to teach us what to do. So we're trying some interactive web applications for the Change Your State website, which is uh, go.ncsu.edu slash changeyourstate. 
We're going to have a 360-degree virtual room. So you'll be able to look at a lab. You'll be able to get into a classroom, a residence hall room, or like a typical cubicle on campus and see how much that room consumes in energy and expels in carbon. You'll have tips on that page on how to reduce your energy usage. And check out the sustainability website. Uh, sustainability.ncsu.edu. You can get to any of the tips and any of the websites that I've mentioned from there and really just get involved, whether it's on your campus or your community. You know, one person can make an impact, and you will. So this summer, make sure to go green by taking David and Diane's tips and by checking out the NCSU Sustainability website at sustainability.ncsu.edu. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. You're listening to Ion of the Triangle. I'm your host, Mark Herring, and the time is 7.24. We're going to take a quick break, but after that, we'll be joined by Katie Costa, our meteorologist, to talk about what's going on outside and the weather to come this week. So stay tuned to 88.1 WKNT. You're listening to Ion the Triangle, WKNT 88.1. I'm your host, Mark Herring. The time is 7.26. Now, I'm here in the station with meteorologist Katie Costa, and if you're driving outside, you'll notice something unclear that Katie will soon explain. So, what's I, what, what's going on? Well, Mark, we certainly have seen hazy conditions across the Triangle today, and this is because of a wildfire that has been burning in Pender County since Saturday. Since Pender County is located on the southeastern coast of Carolina, the southeasterly winds today have pushed the smoke north and west into the Triangle, leading to very poor air quality and very poor visibility. Now, it is not absolutely certain how this fire was started, although officials say this fire was likely brought on by lightning. Local fire crews in the State Division of forest resources are doing everything they can to keep this fire under control. They are not only using aircraft to dump water onto the fire, but they are trying to contain the blaze with fire lines by using plows. Now, a code red air quality alert has been issued by the Raleigh NC Department of Environmental and National Resources until 6 a.m. Wednesday, so it is very unhealthy air quality out there right now, so be sure to limit any outdoor activity, especially if you have respiratory problems, until the smoke finishes moving its way out of here. Now, taking a quick look at your forecast for the remainder of the week ahead, tonight we will see a low of 73 with partly cloudy skies and a slight chance of some storms. Now, the winds will begin to shift to the southwest, and this will help push a lot of the smoke out of the area and help to start clear things out. Tomorrow is going to be a hot one with temperatures high of 98 and mostly sunny skies. Now, these temperatures combined with the relative humidity factor will cause heat indices to range anywhere from 100 to 105 degrees. So be sure to stay indoors with AC as much as possible tomorrow. Tomorrow night, we will cool down to 74, though, so a warm evening with mostly cloudy skies and just a small chance of some showers and thunderstorms overnight. Thursday will be slightly cooler, and by slightly, I mean only a few degrees difference since the uh, high will be 95. Partly cloudy skies on Thursday. We do have some afternoon pop-up storms that are likely as well. Now, Thursday evening, we will be cooling down to 71 degrees overnight with scattered showers and thunderstorms possible. And Friday looks like our coolest day out of the week. And sadly, the high is going to be 90 degrees, which is still pretty hot. 
Once again, though, we do have a chance of some afternoon pop-up storms. And by Friday night, we will have a warm, mild evening and a low of 70. We do have a possibility of a stray shower or two before midnight, though. So if you are planning on heading out downtown, be sure to keep that rain gear handy just in case. Now, taking a look at this weekend, expect highs in the low 90s with partly cloudy skies and lows around 70. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are likely to pop up throughout the weekend, so be sure to stay tuned for any weather updates. So, Mark... It looks like we have one hot rest of the week ahead of us, especially since heat index values will be between 100 and 105 tomorrow. Wow, that's pretty ridiculous. I, I, I'm not going to be having too much fun out there. And actually, with the air quality so bad, I believe the town has, of Cary has canceled all sports acti- sporting activities going on today and tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, it just does not sound... Too good. No, it doesn't. It's yeah. uh, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, so what, what kind of tips do you have for people out there uh, to kind of fight the smog? Um, just really just limit outdoor activity. And if you're going to drive, just be really careful about the visibility issues and really just uh, try to stay cool. All right. Thank you very much, Katie. And now you're listening to Eye on the Triangle. This is a news feature show that we do every – we do Tuesday nights and um, – we're here at WKNC 88.1, and so if you have any comments uh, midway through the show, you can get in touch with us at phone number 919-860-0881 or 919 – what? Yeah, 919-515-2400. I'm sorry about that delay. Uh, got some – Tired eyes. But now <laughs> we'll have a story on the Rebus Gallery hidden off of Boylan Street. And then we'll have sports, which should be interesting for all you sports fans because the university is undertaking some changes in its ticketing policy. So stay tuned. Just across from the Boylan Bridge along the train tracks, there's a building set back from the road. If you drive too fast, you might miss it. It's called Rebus Works, and most people think it's just an art gallery. But it's not simply an art gallery. It's also a frame shop and an exhibition hall. There's a big green garden in the back with all sorts of plants. There's chickens, too. And it's all the brainchild of the owner, Shauna Greenwell. I have a degree in art, emphasis in photography, minor in art history. So I was going to be, you know, an artist. And um, then I got into framing and kind of my, my overall um, personality is very obsessive. So when I got into framing, I really got into framing. Um, and at the same time, I was a uh, part of Basement Studios on Glenwood. And I realized that I really loved like throwing events as well. And so when I went on my own and to open my own shop, I was like, you know, I want to have um, a place where we can show high craft along with fine art. This summer... Shauna is starting something new. It's called the Saturday Market. Artists, farmers, coffee roasters, and others set up their tents, tables, and chairs and sell their goods from 9 in the morning until around 2 p.m. Shauna says she came up with the idea after noticing there wasn't a good market in the downtown area. We were kind of needing something like this in the downtown area. We need something where everyone within like a you know five mile radius can bike to, and I think we're centrally located for that. 
So we can hit like the uh, Cameron Park area. We have a great turnout from the Boylan Heights people. Um, I think anybody who is a condo or something like that downtown um, is, is needing to have a place that they can buy their food locally uh, with, within walking distance. Um, so that's that was kind of the the overall idea is just bring in people um, from the downtown area to a, a central location. There's lots of unique things to see at the Saturday market. Jim of Muddy Dog Coffee Roasting has a unique drink that tickles the taste buds and refreshes the body on a hot Saturday afternoon. Um, put it in a beer keg and carbonated it. Chai? Yeah. So it's, a, so it's like a southern Indian sweet tea soda. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's kind of neat. Um, yeah, it's, uh, actually, the, the guy over there at Double T Farms, it was his idea. He does his uh, Thursday CSA drop at our roastery in Mooresville. And uh, I was out of containers, so I was putting the cold beverages in kegs since I had kegs in the shop. And they said, well, as long as there's a keg, why don't you carbonate it? I'm going to give it the good old college try here. All right. All right, smells kind of spicy, almost like a ginger ale kind of thing. It does have ginger in it, in fact. It's uh, cardamom, ginger, black pepper, uh, cinnamon, Assam black tea, and uh, CO2. And a, little bit, and a little bit of sugar. That's delicious. Good, good. I'm Glad you like impressed. it. Yeah. There are many people at the market. Michael from Double T Farms had a variety of vegetables to showcase. We're just getting into the, the summer season, and we got lots of squash and cucumbers, potatoes, onions, getting the last of the spring kale and cabbage, and uh, within a couple weeks we'll have some tomatoes and, and other things coming as well. There are lots of unique things for sale. For instance, lemon tahini. My name is Bill Hickman, and I used to work at the restaurant called Rascaller on Hillsborough Street, and um, and I, I'm make, making a variation of the world-famous lemon tahini that we used to have, and I've modified it quite a bit, but it's it's even better. I just I came to this market and looked at it, and I said I could. People have been asking me to make it, and I never really worked on the recipe until last week. <laughs> And so last week you decided that this week you were going to be a focal point of the market. I guess. <laughs> Good. Um, well, uh, do you want to give away the secret formula? No. Okay. <laughs> so, if you find yourself with nothing to do on a Saturday morning, contemplate a trip to Rebus. The market runs through November. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee. Corey Smith, the sports editor at The Technician, is here with me in close production, and we're going to talk about his specialty, sports, and there's actually quite a bit of news going on. So, Corey, the university is trying to implement a new ticketing policy for Mm -hmm. football and basketball games, and this affects mostly the Wolfpack Club, which is is kind of like a loyalty-based club um, for the university. A lot of people take it seriously. What's going on? Okay, well, um, as far as the Student Wolfpack Club is concerned, most of their stuff is going to remain the same. Um, but what this affects is the uh, the lottery system that we have at NC State. 
Um, whereas the Student Wolfpack Club goes to events and stuff like that, and they gain their points that way. Um, lottery ticket holders or people that are going to go into the lottery um, earn their points through a loyalty program in which they show up to games um, and certain other things. Um, but it's mostly just showing up to games or um, your status as a junior, senior, sophomore, freshman, whatever you may be. Um, but some of the changes that are taking place are, um, first of all, one of the big things is the fact that they're getting more tickets. Um, for football games, it's going to be 10,000 um, lottery tickets um, and 4,500 basketball tickets. Um, and they'll be mostly the same sections. You'll have the sideline and baseline for the basketball games in section seven and eight, um, but they're going to be adding to some of the higher up seats for the people who don't necessarily have those um, loyalty points at the beginning of the year with the status of a junior or senior, what they might have. Um, that'll get more freshmen in the door, um, in the gate, so that they can actually attend the games, and it'll really help them out a lot. So... Uh, basically what that ends up making it is where um, students are now going to fill roughly one-sixth of the stadium along with the Student Wolfpack Club and the Student Lottery. So uh, another big thing is that it's going to, like I said, it's going to fill one-fourth of the RBC Center um, because there's going to be 4,500 out of it's like 19,000 some odd seats in the RBC Center. So you're going to have students right down on the floor, but you're also going to have them up top like you did before. So all those people will be able to get in the door. Okay. And uh, just on a side note, the RBC Center might be changing names, correct? Yeah. Well, what happened recently, and this is more of a news side of things with uh, PNC Financial bought out RBC Bank, and that's going to be a big thing that's going to change in the Raleigh area. Um, on the sports side of things, you're going to see a big change in the naming rights of the RBC Center. The RBC Center or RBC Bank uh, bought out the naming rights through 2022. And so now PNC basically has to come up with a name for the center. It's probably going to be something interesting like PNC Center or PNC Arena. We won't see a big name change. But that's going to be something that fans can look forward to in the fall with basketball coming up. Okay. And now back to the ticketing policy. Um, this also talks about it, – it covers the issue of no-shows or people yeah. who get a ticket, they don't come. Yeah, there was a no-show policy beforehand, but this one's a lot more straight to the point. And people can literally get banned from sporting events in general, from men's basketball and football. So what happens? Basically what it says is – uh, throughout the season, if you miss two football games, then you're banned from the rest of the season. You cannot sign up again. Eight, uh, three basketball games, you cannot sign up again. Now, those are individually for their own sporting season. So, if you if you forget to uh, if you get a ticket and don't show up, basically is what a no show is. So, if you no show to two football games, you're not going to be penalized for the basketball season. But you will be penalized during the basketball season if you forget to show up three times. Now, the biggest thing with that is, basically, if you miss five throughout the entire time you're at NC State, five football games, you can no longer sign up. So if you miss five throughout your uh, freshman, sophomore, and junior year, you cannot sign up your entire senior se- your entire senior year that you're here. Um, how, how pervasive of a problem would this be? Like, for example... 
would you still be able to go to basketball or football games? Yes, I would okay, definitely. Good. I would. Now, I know a lot of people who wouldn't because there's a lot of people who you know run into events where, say, they sign up for the lottery a week before, and they're all for going to the game, but then come to find out they have you know some big family event that they com- that completely lapsed their mind and they're not going to be able to show up to the game anymore well unless they have a friend a close friend who can go to the game they're going to lose those points and that also accounts for the fact that you have to come in before halftime so you have to be there before halftime or else you're not going to or else it's going to be a no show as well okay. so and um there are just some smaller things i know you'll get extra points if you're there early yeah, there's there's obviously what I was talking about earlier with the standing. The freshmen earn three points at the beginning of the year. Sophomores, five. Juniors, seven. Um, and then seniors and grad students earn nine. So seniors and grad students at the beginning of the year are at the top of the charts. You earn one point for each event that you show up to. But if you show up 45 minutes before that event, then you earn an additional one point. So... One thing that that might cut into is the tailgating time that you get. But if you show up early, then you'll end up getting that extra point added to your lottery standing the next time that you sign up for it. And you just may understand the game a little better. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get to sit there and watch warm-ups, and you get to be along with some of the parents and stuff like that of the players that are out there, and you get to see them take the field and, like I said, warm up. But another thing that a lot of people are going to be worried about, and I didn't really get to this earlier um, is the fact that group ticketing is being completely taken away, which is going to take away from a lot of people who just have, say, that one friend who goes to all the events, and if they forget to go to three or four of them, then they can have that one person sign up, and they can say, basically, I'm with this person. Well, that can't happen anymore, and each person has to sign up individually. Now, the RBC Center is also going to be... Um, RBC Center is also going to be general admission this year, so you're going to be signed to a certain section, and that's going to kind of throw things off. But if you if you show up with a group of people that you want to sit with, you're going to be able to sit with them. Okay, so. gotcha. And um, now there's been a lot of news about football, um, especially with Ohio State, but there's a new headline about UNC. Yes, UNC just received a letter of allegations, which they um, received a letter earlier on in the month. Uh, I believe it was July 7th, and they just received a letter June of 7th? allegations. Oh, June 7th, yeah. That's it's okay. Still it's June. almost July. Yeah, uh, they received it um, today, about an hour ago, and basically they have 90 days to respond to it. I don't really know exactly what it says on there right now, but it's a lot about um, basically what happened in the fall of last year. So you're going to see a lot of things coming out about UNC coming up pretty soon uh, and how they're going to respond to this entire thing. They've got nearly three months to respond, so just before the football season begins. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully we'll get some more information. More information, information about, about that. Yeah, yeah. just uh, there hasn't been a lot that's leaked. It's just basically said they received a letter of allegations for what happened in the fall of last year for their football program. So, well, I'll definitely uh, come back to you to keep us informed about all of that. But thank you very much, Corey. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. You're listening to I Am the Triangle. I'm your host and WKNC Public Affairs Director Mark Herring. The time is 7:43, and the next segment I have for you is a little one-on-one interview I conducted actually with my older brother Andrew and. Uh, He is currently serving in the United States Army, but he has been living abroad for the past three years or so. And so uh, he's on a little tour of leave, and I asked him a few questions about what he does abroad, um, how he gets around, 
and uh, what it's like, you know, dealing with the culture shock. So here it is. Through college, pretending that I was like so worldly and stuff like that, you know, traveling to a host of third world countries and, you know, studying languages and history and, you know, being like, oh, I'm a citizen of the world and actually having to become one. Like, I think that. Uh, are are there, there two different things? Yeah. Okay. Because, so, like, you can, I mean, you can read stuff in a book, and then you can, you actually have to live it. And experience it. Yeah. Like, and, I mean, in, in college, I could study Russian all I wanted to, but it wouldn't help if I'm walking down, like, the streets of Raleigh, and, you know, I have to meet people who speak Russian in a southern accent. I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, it's it's culture, but at the same time, like, I want to be, you know, three balls of vodka deep with some caviar in my hand and you know a samovar hat on and you know that's you're actually experiencing the culture so what was i guess your first like serendipitous experience with actually getting i wouldn't say three bottles of vodka deep but getting in there i think it would have to be buying an apartment on the german economy and that was actually when i realized that i had no ability to communicate other than my hands and like an iPhone translator and like a piece of paper and a pencil wow. and trying to negotiate an apartment contract where the landlord knew abs- like she was a 6 year old woman who knew absolutely no English and all I knew how to do was order a beer with the bad German accent like yeah David Hasselhoff yeah <laughs> um, but yeah that was about it I mean like trying to like not live in a hotel like make a life and you know, get used to living in a different country because I blew up every single appliance I had in the first 36 hours of living in Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. Like that was probably the biggest culture shock. Okay. So what did you do to overcome it? And what was it like getting used to it? Coming back to the United States, does it feel a little strange? Like, oh, you have to acclimatize to things here now? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely reverse culture shock. Like, uh, the first Sunday where I realized that I needed, like, milk and eggs and, um, you know, basic things that you could, you know, go down to the Walmart or, you know, the stop and go and pick up, you know, your Diet Mountain Dew and your cigarettes and filet on in the same place. Like, in Germany, you can't do that. Like, everything is closed, you know, on Sundays. You can maybe get some gas if you're lucky on Sundays. You can always get beer, but then again, that's just Germany. But, uh... Yeah, it's getting used to everything. Their way of life is very different. It's a lot slower. America's mm. very, very fast, very spontaneous, whereas Germany's very by the book. The trains run on time, but that <laughs> they don't really stray too far from the, the equation. Yeah, so would you say the the way of life is just more slow-paced? You know, the United States, the day after Christmas, everything's open. Uh, yeah, they have a appreciation for like quality of life, I think. But uh, I mean, we we definitely are like I need my, you know, I need this, 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 and this. And the Germans, you go to any city on a Tuesday, and it's sunny outside at two o'clock, and you know everyone's in like a little beer garden enjoying, you know, a like a, a schnitzel and a a beer, just because it's nice outside. Or you know they'll they'll drive in the shade because it's you know it's cooler on that side of the road. Oh, wow. Um, they, they make more time for relaxation, but at the same time, it's the way they're set up. You know, you can only work so many hours a week. Exactly. You can only do so much, so. So are there any lessons you'll take from living abroad that you'll apply back to normal daily life when you return home? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I have a much greater appreciation for like roasted meats <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know uh, well that's their specialty. Yeah, roasted meats and uh, a greater knowledge of uh of you know fine beers and wines. Um, I think that that's culturally that's the biggest thing is uh the appreciation the, for the appreciation for good living. Um on the outside like many German homes are very plain, but on the inside that that's where they're you know it's their small castle. And then um you know through food that's the biggest thing is that you can tell how someone appreciates life through what they eat and how they eat it. Yeah. And for them, you know, it's it's always like Oktoberfest or you know, there's all there's always a fest. There's always something to celebrate. Regardless of what it could be like the like the concrete fest, but you know, <laughs> like it just it does it doesn't matter. Like they have a fest for steaks in our town, then a Christmas fest, and then a, a like a fest for every single saint you could ever think of. So you've been able to travel very very cheaply around Europe. Now I know it's the summertime. A lot of people are kind of planning a lot of spontaneous trips abroad. Um, a lot of people are probably gearing up to going abroad. What is the easiest way to get around Europe? The easiest way to get around Europe would definitely be to go to a major Western European city and go to Ryanair.com and definitely travel from there. You can get flights from there for, I mean, I've flown all over Europe. I've flown to, from Germany to Portugal for five euro round trip. Um, it's just very easy, very convenient. Trains, you know, you can, trains work, but they're a little more expensive. Um, but, I mean, if you want to go from one major city to another, especially in Western Europe, that's that's the what you got to do. Yeah, so Ryanair, it's a low-fare airline uh, out of Ireland that does trips around Europe, but to kind of like um, very old airports, like out of old Air Force, Air Force bases, bases and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, they, I mean, I've I've been able to travel all over Europe, you know, through that. You know, renting a car that's that's always a possibility, but then you got to pay, you know, five liter or five dollars a liter. Um, yeah, and I mean, no. from looking at the the gas crisis that we're currently in, where people have to pay three fifty a gallon, they're uh, it's it's not it's not going to be feasible. Yeah, it's exaggerated in Europe. Yeah. Um, so what about lodging? Hostels, definitely hostels. Um, in, in in what way? Like the the kind of get murdered hostel um, uh, in the center I, of the city. I, I've stayed in both. Um, I just you know you just Google is probably the best thing you could do. You just get online and look up hostels and uh, see whether people rate them like TripAdvisor and Hostel World. Um, and then if you are in Eastern Europe, there you can stay in a lot nicer places for cheap. I mean, when I was in Croatia, we had a like a four bedroom villa for like a hundred bucks a night total for everyone. So it depends on where you are. If you're in London, you know, you're, you're going to be spending a lot of money. Yeah. And, um, what about food? Uh, which is the best Starbucks in Europe? I wouldn't know. Cause I've never been to a Starbucks in Europe. Okay. So um, how come? Uh, just because you want to avoid like things that cater to kids. You go where you think the locals are going to eat or get with the locals and eat with them. I mean, you know how it was when we were in Morocco, like there were. It was obvious that they had the Moroccan golden arches and you know faux McDonald's and stuff like that. But then you you need to go out and explore and you know find that goat's face and you yeah. know those so those snails that get ripped out of the ground that are cooked right in front of you and things like that. Stuff that you know the the people eat 
that that's where you want to find. So would you are are like where you would see local people, ju- just local people? Are those indications of probably where it's at? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, it the hole in the wall is the best place because um, it's going to cater to the locals, and you know they're they're not there to make money; they're there to make a living, you know, a lifestyle. So you want to go there, and more often than not, you're not going to get sick because if they get people sick, they're not going to be in business anymore because they're catering to their friends and family. So that I mean, that's where you're going to get the the best food. You know, culture shock and language barrier aside. How do you get to connect with different people? The best way that I found is you just need to go out and eat, get a couple drinks, and for the most part, I mean, the people of Europe and wherever, wherever I've been, really, I mean, you know, Cuba, Afghanistan, Ecuador, Mexico, Canada, all of Europe, um, they're once you just sit down and like break bread with them, they're very receptive to anything. Um, I mean, obviously, the best way is to get a couple of drinks in someone. Like, the best conversations I've had have been in Oktoberfest and, you know, other German fests. But, um, I mean, it is, if you sit down with someone and break bread with them and just strike, strike up a conversation, ask them about, you know, where's the, the best place to eat, the best place to go that's local, you know, you, you don't need to be going to, like, the Stockholm Coyote Ugly. Um, you know, you want to go to the something, you know, more authentic. Well, thank you very much, brother. The views expressed in the previous clip do not reflect those of WKNC, and if you do consume alcohol, please do so responsibly and of age. The time is 7.54, and our last clip for you is uh, sound bites from Selma. This morning, our correspondent Selma Abdulhai went around campus to interview people who just weren't having the best day, and she came back with some interesting feedback. So here's Selma. All right, my name is Nasser Kathri. Um Okay, medicine. Um, I don't know why so many people, I mean, I'm pre-med, but I don't know why other people are trying to go into it, into medicine. I just think that um, you put so much effort into it and, and so much time, so much effort, so much money, and in the end, you don't get that much out of it. Like, you know, the hours are long. You have to deny people care just because they can't pay for it and it's, it's a pretty depressing job so i think people should look way more into medicine than just like from the surface <laughs> and uh i think that's uh, that's it okay so my name is lola you know how you you're around some okay so you're around friends right and some friends they smoke that's fine if they want to smoke don't do it in front of me I don't smoke. I'm a type of person, I don't, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but just don't do it in front of me. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to smell like cigarettes. And plus, I don't want to get cancer. And it's rude. And so I'm just like, yo, can you step aside? Like, I, one of my friends who was smoking, and I was like, hey, can you do it somewhere else? And he was like, no, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm doing a blah, blah, blah. He just gave me a speech about it. I'm just like, you know what? I'm leaving. And so I left. But I'm okay now. I'm good. That's good to hear. Anything else you want to say? Um, hi, my name is Myla, and I work at Taco Bell, and some dude tried to pay me with a library card yesterday. How long have you worked at Taco Bell? A month. It's been a weird month. For sure. Any other weird things happen to you? I don't know. Like... Oh, yeah, some guy told me he loved me. 
He declared his love to me via drive-thru. Yeah, classy. Well, thank you very much, Selma, for those interesting comments from some questionable people in the community. Thank you for listening to I Am The Triangle. The time is 7.56, and this show was produced to you with the help of Chris Chaffee, Nick Savage, Katie Costa, Selma Abdulhai, and me, Mark Herring. And if you want to get in touch with us at WKNC, you can do so on the phone, 860-0881 or 515-2400. You can also get in touch with me via email if you have a really compelling story or a fun narrative that you want to share with us. You can email me at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And you can also get more of your fill of Eye on the Triangle on our blog. Just go to wknc.org slash blog, click on news, and you'll find more things about Eye on the Triangle. Um, so thank you very much for listening. And have a pleasant evening and tune back in two weeks to Eye on the Triangle.